0: Welcome to The Oracle. This is a podcast where you will hear innovative and curious minds. Together, we will explore what makes a difference in cities, homes, and for the planet at large. The Oracle is produced by Monk Studios in collaboration with IKEA. I am walking in a village in Thailand in the mid-17th century. It is the hottest part of the hot season, but the trees provide shade and there is a breeze. Even the temperatures inside the houses are pleasant since the pleated walls and the roofs covered with palm leaves provide a natural air circulation. Most houses are built on stilts to avoid being flooded during the rainy season. Huge clay jars are standing close to the houses. They are used to collect rainwater from the roofs during the rainy season and will provide enough drinking water for the whole family throughout the length of the dry season. I am amazed by how much these villagers live in harmony with the surroundings and make use of their knowledge on natural systems. However, the drawback is a physically harsh life, and I can see that many of the villagers have disabilities from old injuries. Infectious and chronic diseases are prevalent and many children are undernourished. I am standing in the same spot in today's world, next to a big hospital with all the facilities of the modern age. But outside the temperatures are soaring, reaching almost 40 degrees Celsius. Around me I have concrete, Asphalt, stone walls and tall buildings. The high-rises hinder the wind to give a cooling breeze at ground level. There's no vegetation. The small air conditioning units that are hanging on the walls around me further increase the heat since they draw hot air from inside outdoors. There's traffic everywhere. No sidewalks. Cars and motorcycles emit noxious fumes. I am covered in sticky perspiration from walking and jumping out of reach of vehicles, even though my pace is slow. The combination of heat and air pollution makes it hard to breathe. And I have a headache. I need to buy another plastic bottle of water. I am walking the streets of the same city 50 years from now. The air is easy to breathe. There is no air pollution. The temperature is tolerable even though we are in the peak of the hottest season. I look around and I realise the city is green. There is vegetation everywhere. It seems like nature has moved back in. When I look more closely, I realize that plants are covering the walls of many buildings. There are rooftop gardens and people are harvesting vegetables. The streets are totally transformed. There are now sidewalks shaded by trees. Some of the trees are planted in large holes, submerged about one meter below street level, and filled in the bottom with soil and grass. And I learned from spite that these structures are protection against flooding that help drain the streets more quickly after heavy rains. The runoff stormwater is being naturally filtered and reused to water city parks and create ponds for fishes and fountains that cool the surrounding air and further help decrease outdoor temperatures. It is still hot, but the shading trees and bushes provide relief. And then my vision fades away. Elizabeth Lingren is a physician and associate professor in sustainability science, and a pioneer within research on climate change and health. In the Oracle, she shares her vision on how we can use nature-based solutions to create both sustainable and healthy cities. Eleven billion people—that is how many the UN has predicted we will be on this planet by the end of the century and of them nearly 85% will live in cities. This is an unprecedented shift. Coming generations will be living on an urban planet. The city planning and the new buildings and hard infrastructure that we construct today will stay for decades, sometimes centuries. So we have a great responsibility to get it right. How we shape our cities today Will have major implications for the possibility of creating a sustainable and healthy future for all. We have a great challenge ahead of us, with a changing climate and a growing population that will put more pressure on the planet's resources. However, I am optimistic, and I will tell you why. My name is Elizabeth Lindgren. I am a physician, but early on I got deeply concerned about how our modern societies were having negative effects on the planet. Our activities are changing the life supporting systems, like the climate system, the global water cycle, and the atmospheric ozone layer that are the basis for all life on this beautiful planet. So about 25 years ago I started to do scientific research to understand how such global changes could create new health risks. This required me to work transdisciplinary with the colleagues from other sectors so that we could all contribute with our own piece of expert knowledge to understand the larger picture. My idea was that if we had a better understanding of these complex processes we could create holistic sustainable solutions that would prevent such global changes and health risks from happening and here i am today for many years now i've been working closely with policymakers both in sweden and internationally to help create a more sustainable and healthier world One of the most urgent actions we need to take is to reduce the world's emissions of greenhouse gases to curb climate change. For cities, this means reducing the use of fossil fuels, that is for transport, for heating and cooling purposes, and for other energy-consuming activities. This will reduce future health risks from climate change, but also immediately improve health since there will be less air pollution. But many other measures are needed to make a city sustainable and healthy. And I will tell you how nature itself can play a part in this. Nature-based solutions emerge from a new way of thinking. In short, it means taking advantage of how nature and ecosystems are functioning, and merge this with human-made inventions and structures. The results are solutions that are sustainable and often less costly. As an extra bonus, they are often healthier and contribute to people's well-being. There are many good examples on how nature-based solutions can be used in cities. Let's imagine that you're walking along a white, sandy beach, looking out over the sea and the blue sky and feeling the breeze in your hair. It feels good, doesn't it? Research shows that people's stress hormones and blood pressure are lowered when they are spending time in nature. But what is interesting is that you do not actually have to be at the beach or in a beautiful forest to experience that type of stress reduction. You don't even need to be outdoors. Something as simple as having living plants at home is proving to be soothing. And so is the room with the view. Studies have shown that people who have had surgery or are recuperating from severe diseases will recover more quickly if they can look out over a bit of nature from their windows. And if we scale up, the same idea is applicable in a city. City parks are sometimes referred to as green spaces. A green space is exactly what it sounds like: a vegetated land within an urban area. That could be anything from a small area with plants, a city park, a playground or an urban forest, but sometimes also an area with water. Green spaces are important for biodiversity and have many positive effects in addition to be improving people's well-being and happiness. A major importance is their effectiveness in reducing extreme heat during the warmer part of the year. Climate change will make our cities warmer. And heat waves will become more common and more intense. Persistent high temperatures may cause people to fall ill or even die. Even northern countries like Sweden will experience such extremes. However, here, indoor temperatures are often more of concern, since many of the buildings are built for a winter climate and easily keep heat inside. Small one-room apartments with a window facing south. And with no cooling sources may become health hazards. They are often inhabited by older persons that are extra sensitive to heat and have no means to invest in cooling technology. In cities located in subtropical and tropical regions, outdoor temperatures may reach dangerous levels. Here, outdoor workers are at risk, as they may experience severe dehydration and heat stroke. I have lived on and off in Southeast Asia for many years, and I have often wondered how the construction workers, who often are poor immigrants and many of them women, how they are able to work when the temperatures are soaring. I see them climbing the bamboo scaffolds on the outer walls of high-rises, when the sun is at its highest peak, when everyone else takes refuge indoors in cooling environments. Modern cities contain huge amounts of stone, concrete, asphalt, and other materials that store heat. If you look at the thermal satellite image of New Delhi in India, you can see that the temperature differences between the stony city center and the greener surrounding suburbs can be as much as 10 to 12 degrees. Such differences in temperature is called the urban heat island effect. New Delhi has noted unbearable temperatures of more than 48 degrees Celsius in the city center. The combination of heat and air pollution transforms the city into a real health hazard during the hot season. It's easy to imagine what this means for the health of the part of the population that are homeless or living in the slums. But the urban heat island effect can be significantly reduced by adding green space to the city center. Having numerous green spaces within the city will level out the temperature differences in the long term, as well as providing immediate shade and cooling. The city Barcelona has taken a lead in developing green space with its new project called Plan Verde 2020. The plan is to create streets with less traffic in the city center, where trees and other vegetation will be planted. The idea is that no resident in the district will be more than 200 meters from a green space. Green spaces are important for numerous other reasons as well. Recreational areas provide space for exercise and promote fitness. Vegetation and especially trees help in protecting us against air pollution. And importantly, ground vegetation helps prevent flooding. Severe flooding of a city is a dangerous event. It disrupts the city's vital functions and emergency services. and may cause death and epidemics. More intense rainfall that comes more often is already happening in many parts of the world. And flooding disasters will become more common with climate change. Imagine being in a city that has been filled with water after days of heavy rain. The stagnant water can be more than knee deep, often contaminated with sewage water. People that are forced to walk through such water get skin infections, and bacteria can enter the bloodstream through wounds. Finding clean drinking water is often a problem, and epidemics of diarrhoea are common during flooding. And so are outbreaks of malaria and dengue fever, since mosquitoes use the stagnant water to lay eggs. Therefore, it is vital to increase a city's capacity to quickly get rid of excess water to avoid severe flooding. Stormwater systems are already in use in flood-prone cities, but additional support is needed. In contrast to hard pavements and streets, city parks and other green spaces can help absorb some of the stormwater. Some cities use a mesh of concrete combined with grass to cover sidewalks, parking lots, and squares. This helps the rainwater to run off more quickly, at the same time as the concrete provides stability. So one may ask: if the positive effects of green space are so many, why do not all cities construct new parks and recreational areas? Well, there are obstacles. In many cities, most of the ground space is already in use for other purposes. It may also be a question of land ownership that complicates the process. This is especially a problem in rapidly growing cities in low and middle-income countries where city planning is often lacking and land plots are privately owned. But if there is no room for city parks, any small space like backyards or schoolyards can be transformed into a green space. Remember my vision from the start of this story where I was picturing a city in the future where the problems of heat and air pollution have been fixed. Already now some of these creative solutions are being put into use. Rooftops, terraces and the walls of buildings are being covered in plants of all kinds. Green roofs as we are calling them have many of the beneficial effects of green spaces at the ground. Green roofs also help regulate temperatures, control stormwater runoff and contribute to better air quality. And in addition, they are energy efficient since they have an insulating effect which reduces the amount of energy needed to heat the building in the winter and cool it in the summer. Several cities and countries are seriously focusing on the use of rooftops. I will give you 3 examples. Toronto was the first North American city to adopt a law in 2009 that required part of the roofs of larger new developments to have a green roof construction. Mexico City launched its green roof project in 2010. This megacity is currently Latin America's leader in green roofs. France adopted, in 2015, a law that requires that at least one-third of the roof area of new commercial buildings. Must be covered either by plants or by solar panels. In addition to green roofs, green walls have started to come into focus during the last ten years. A green wall is a vertical area covered in plants. They are often constructed outside on the walls of buildings, but may be a freestanding construction. They provide similar benefits as green roofs. So with all these green spaces and structures, how much food would it be possible to produce within the city itself? Calculations show that it varies considerably between cities. One city with major potential is Bologna in Italy. If all flat roofs and roof terraces of the city were covered with soil-free gardens, it could supply as much as 77 percent of Bologna's annual food needs. Commercial urban farming is increasing. New York City currently harbors the world's largest urban rooftop soil farm. It has a stunning 5.6 acre of organic farming. New innovations and methods are often used for commercial urban food production. Vertical farms that grow crops stacked vertically in layers are perfect when space is limited. Outdoors or indoors. Urban farms often use no or low amounts of pesticides. To grow one's own food is becoming more and more popular among people living in cities. Rooftops, balconies and backyards now harbor small gardens and potted vegetables. And new community gardens are being developed in many high and middle income cities. In low income cities Urban farming has since long provided additional nutrition and income to poor families. The UN has estimated that 800 million people grow food in cities. In Stockholm, the use of small garden plots, so called allotments, has been in practice for more than 100 years. It began in 1905 with the aim to give poor families the opportunity to grow food for their own consumption. The use of the allotments for food production was very important during the First World War, but later the plots became less of interest. Today, the popularity of both allotments and community gardens is on the rise. Many of the newly built residential urban areas in Sweden have designated space for community gardens. It is worth the effort to grow one's own food. I grow herbs and leafy vegetables in pots in my kitchen. It is a pleasure to come home after work and look after my small garden. It provides my family with healthy organic food year-round, and it makes me feel that somehow I contribute to better good. Every generation has been facing challenges. We who are living today have much better lives and options than our ancestors could ever have dreamed of, but we need to take better care of these options and focus on how we can minimize the negative effects of our modern societies. Cities will be the number one priority when we plan for a healthy and sustainable future, since it is in cities that the main population growth will occur and where most of the planet's resources will be used. This is a unique time in human history. We are all interconnected in a way that has never happened before, for good and for worse. I said I was hopeful, and I stand by it because the knowledge we have today and the possibilities to make positive changes are mind-blowing. Scientists and policymakers are working more closely together to find solutions that are sustainable, and based on solid facts. Knowledge, education and information are the keys to achieve real changes in society at all levels. We have the tools, so let's make the difference. Every single step of the way counts and we as individuals can do a lot both at home and at work. All our efforts whether they are small Or big, will add up to have positive influences and create sustainable changes to the environment and our societies, and ultimately contribute to better and healthier living on this precious planet. You've listened to The Oracle. A podcast produced by Munk Studios in collaboration with IKEA for the International City Expo H22 in Helsingborg, Sweden 2022. More details and all the episodes are found at h22.ikea.com.